afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack alongside Luke Smith. And we're back. Uh, thank you guys for being patient with us last week. We weren't able to release our UNLV preview because we both had really hectic weeks. I had to go from Michigan to L.A. and then from L.A. to Columbus, Ohio, all in the span of like four days while Luke was traveling from Chicago to D.C. and back. So we apologize. We weren't able to find a time where both of us were free. But now we're back in our normal schedule. And Luke, we have the pleasure of talking about Notre Dame's 44-21 to win over the UNLV, UNLV Rebels on Saturday. Uh, what a weird one, right? Uh, did you guys feel that way? We certainly did, and we're actually going to compare it to some of the other really bizarre Notre Dame games of our lifetime because that one was an all-timer, and not in a good way, to be honest. Uh, then we'll break down the actual performance in the field and share our main takeaways from the offense, defense, and, of course, special teams because, as we know, special teams is a third of the game. Luke, is Notre Dame's best unit special teams? I don't think there's any question. that 100% is. All right. Well, as sad as that is, it is the truth. Uh, before we get going here, please take a second to like this video below and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe there as well. And now a quick word from our sponsors before we talk Notre Dame UNLV. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt-in, and place a stepped-up same-game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Speaking of which, how are uh, how are you feeling about that Cavs prediction a, a few games into the season? So far, so good. Cavs 2-1. and one. Darius Garland got hurt in the season opener, and I thought, oh boy, this season might be over. Uh, but he's good. He's going to be back in a few games, and Donovan Mitchell is as advertised. How are you feeling about the Bulls? Well, uh, they announced about two days before, or maybe it was the day before the opener, that Zach Levine would be on a load management schedule, and that resulted in him not playing in the opener or the second game of the year. He's not playing back-to-backs. Not really sure how that happens at the start of the year after you just super maxed him, but um, whatever. <laughs> um, it's going to be an interesting year. <laughs> All right, well, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SOS. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code SOS. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. This episode is sponsored by Haas Company, a lifestyle brand that's about being the best version of yourself. Be the Haas. The Haas lives life without reservations, without doubt, and ready to answer the call each and every day. Check out their website at bethehaas.com and use promo code SUNS for 15% off on your next order. Check them out. 
This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback for those who crave activity. Use the promo code SONSND, that's S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. But we encourage all of our listeners to check out the Shamrock Polo, which would look great on Irish fans everywhere. That's promo code SONSND at R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Okay, Luke, I don't think our listeners know this uh, because, we, like I said, we weren't able to get to our UNLV preview last week. But you had made the decision early last week that you weren't going to make the trek to South Bend to be there in person for the UNLV game. But to the surprise of no one, you ultimately changed your mind and were in the crowd on Saturday. So please give us a report from the weekend. I did end up going um, for a number of reasons. It was a beautiful day, and I kind of just wanted to see what campus would look like. It was 75 degrees in late October. And, um, you know, nobody really – none of my friends that live in Chicago were going to watch the game, um, which is something we can get to later. And I kind of realized that if I didn't go, I would be no better than those people on Twitter who just spew constant negativity. So I was there. It was a beautiful day. The game left a lot to be desired despite the 23-point margin. But – you know, I would actually say it was a little bit more crowded in the tailgate lots than I anticipated. Um, the stadium, I thought, had a better energy than the Stanford game, to be totally honest with you. Fans seemed a little bit more invested. I don't know why that was, but seemed to be the case. Um, now, the stadium did kind of thin out by late third quarter, fourth quarter, and, and the student section with, with them on fall break was maybe 75% full, but... Uh, all in all, outside of some of the frustration that resulted in, in that play, um, I, I thought it was a, a pretty good day in South Bend. You said the student section was about 75%. I think the broadcast did a good job of hiding that. You couldn't really tell, mm-hmm. but they did show one shot kind of towards the end of the game where the stadium looked pretty, it, not empty, but just unusually empty for a Notre Dame game. Like, I'm just not used to seeing so few people in the crowd. Did you feel that by the end of the game? Was the energy kind of sucked out by just the performance on the field? Definitely. The upper bowl just seemed empty. I don't think I'd really seen that before. Um, so it was, it was certainly weird. In fairness, it also felt like the longest game ever. I mean, so, the first uh-huh. quarter the first quarter took over an hour. Um, and even, like, the end of it was really weird where – I don't know if this was picked up on the broadcast or not, but like they waited to play the alma mater because it seemed like Freeman's interview with NBC was taking forever too, and they were just waiting for him to run over there. It's like just nothing can uh, be punctual today. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of the broadcast, you know, it was on Peacock, so no one was really watching this game, I'm sure. And I, I don't know. From my experience, it the stream was really behind. I think you sent me a text right before the J.D. Bertrand targeting or mm-hmm. right after it, and I was two whole plays behind. And I was constantly refreshing because it would buffer every every couple minutes, I'd say. Now, granted, part of that might have been the fact that I was in a hotel room watching on my laptop, but it wasn't great. And I know a lot of people have been complaining about it. And to be honest, I get it. It's the same issue we had last year. You're basically making fans pay for a product that they get free every week. And there's nothing really new other than I think they have a longer pregame and postgame show, which actually that was the lone bright spot of the broadcast because Kyron Williams and Kenny Mayne, an ESPN icon for decades, they were awesome. But that was about it. (laughs) That was about the only good thing uh, about the Peacock broadcast, at least in my opinion. So from people you've talked to, is that about the same thing you heard? 
Yeah, nobody seemed really happy with it. Um, I kind of remember this being an issue last year as well, so not surprising to to hear that. Uh, it was surprising to learn that Kenny Maine played quarterback at UNLV. Um, also, yeah, I don't know. There was just like – it was a weird day. Uh, there's there's no two ways about it. I'm, I almost felt like I didn't even really watch a game just because of everything that happened. But, uh, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, the only reason I knew about Kenny Mayne, I worked with him briefly when I was at ESPN, and he was the quarterback until he suffered uh, an injury that was so gruesome, he almost had to have his leg amputated at Autzen Stadium. It's a pretty, pretty wild story. Uh, but we've said already a few times, this was an extremely weird game. We've got two blocked punts in the first quarter. Uh, Notre Dame, I think they had 14 possessions, eight of which started in UNLV's side of the field. It was on Peacock. It was against UNLV. It was, like you said, during the students' fall break, so there weren't a lot of students in the crowd. So we looked back on some of the weirdest Notre Dame games in our lifetime because I think this one is up there. Because Notre Dame wins by 23, and I don't think anyone walked away from that game super happy. You know what I mean? That was sort of my mood, which is weird. And that's sort of a a statement about where the team is overall this year, but that's how I felt. I think that is a shared sentiment among a lot of the fans who watched that. So looking back... What are some of the weirdest Notre Dame games that you can remember? Yeah, I still want to know if that if we've ever had two block punts in a game. I, I don't like. I haven't really seen anybody come back with anything on that, um, and I didn't look into it deep enough. But I'm, I'm curious about that. But yeah, there there are a lot. Um, this one is up there. I honestly could have probably put any home game from 2016 on this list, um, but I think Duke stands out just because. Losing to Daniel Jones uh, and how bad Deshaun Kaiser was was just a, a quick realization that it was going to be a really long year. Uh, I think UCLA 2006 is another one that doesn't really get talked about enough because of how it ended. Um, but I actually had this conversation with somebody at the tailgate last week that until Quinn pump faked and hit some margin for the go-ahead touchdown, it was probably the deadest that stadium had been in my lifetime to date. Um, and thankfully, Carl Durrell was a little bit conservative after we had turned the ball over on downs to drive before, and he just ran up the middle three times and out of nowhere came something. <laughs> That's true. That game was really weird. I think we've got to put Toledo last year. I think that game's on the Pantheon. It was first game fans could attend in almost two years because of the pandemic year in 2020. And I I made the commitment. I was like, all right, this year I'm going to this game. I'm going to travel and uh, I just assumed that the atmosphere would be pretty raucous, despite the fact that it was Toledo, considering fans weren't able to attend. That was not the case. It was a no. very empty stadium. I think people were still concerned about being in large crowds because the pandemic was still going on, and it was Toledo, and it was on Peacock. So I think if you look back historically, that might have been one of the least watched Notre Dame games ever, and that's probably a good thing because Notre Dame should have lost to Toledo, as we've said many times in this podcast. Also, it needed a Jack Cohn. Game-winning drive, and on that drive, he needed to get his finger popped back into place. Just a really weird game overall, and uh, I think that one's got to be up there. You mentioned UCLA. I'm surprised you didn't say 2007. And when I looked, I back was stats, I was only thinking home games, so that's okay. why. Right, uh, well, because if if we are talking away games, <laughs> I mean, there's there's no way you don't put NC State 2016 on that. Okay, so we'll include that. I this one is just all time, and I when I looked it back up. It was even weirder than I thought. So let's rewind a bit. Notre Dame is 0-5 to start the year in 2007. They traveled to Pasadena. It was the first time since 1925 that Notre Dame played there when Newt Rockney won a national championship over uh, Pop Warner's Stanford team. 
I think they were Notre. I think Notre Dame was twenty plus point underdogs in that one. They managed to beat U- UCLA mainly because UCLA had nine turnovers. Nine. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame knocked out UCLA starting QB early. So then UCLA was going with this guy named. I'm sure I'm getting this wrong. McLeod Bethel Thompson. Yeah. Use walk on. McLeod. Yeah. McLeod. Yeah. Never thrown a pass in a college game. He threw four picks, and two of which to Maurice Crum. He also and Maurice Crum also had a scoop and score for a touchdown. Notre Dame won by two touchdowns despite having only 140 yards of total offense. Um, I don't remember a ton about that game, but that one was certainly an all timer. I think another really weird thing about that game is, and partially because Notre Dame was so bad, it wasn't on. And this is 2007. It wasn't on national TV. I remember my dad like having to buy a pay-per-view for this game, yeah. which I don't know has happened ever since. Um, but I do remember that. Um, I have a couple more, though. Navy 2017, your senior day, I think, was a very odd game. Yeah. Like All I remember is that nobody, my grade or below, went because – these nerds had some big test on Monday, and the weather was terrible. It was so um, bad. It was cold, and it was pouring down rain. Yeah, and it was a pretty ugly game coming on the heels of the Miami debacle, so I get that. But I, I think the one that we would be totally remiss not to mention this, it's South Florida, 2011. No uh, ominous start with you have this long drive, and then you fumble at the two-yard line that gets returned for 98 yards. Two delays for a total of two hours and 43 minutes, and the Irish lose to the South Florida Bulls, 23-20. to 20. I actually I talked to this to Chad Holtz, Skip Holtz's son, who Chad went to Notre Dame. He was my grade. I talked to him about this game a couple weeks ago, just asking him what that was like for him. And he was talking about how weird a day that was for him because he grew up a huge Notre Dame fan, obviously ended up there, but his dad is a South Florida coach, um, which is also just another odd element to that day. Uh, but yeah, I think that one, that one probably has to take the cake. Yeah, I was at that game. Probably the yeah. least fun I ever had because when Notre Dame had that delay in our section, we were all just sort of sitting there underneath the stands. And then when the second one happened, we had to go to the Joy Center and just hang out there. And Notre Dame is losing during both yeah. these delays. So we had plenty of time to think about, are we really going to lose this game to South Florida? Didn't Tommy Reese did. come in in the second half? Like Dan Chris yeah. got benched. Yeah. Michael Floyd played. Um Despite, I think a lot of people thought he was going to get suspended because I think he had one of his DUIs. It was just a mm-hmm. weird game. Um, I want to throw out uh, the Notre Dame-Georgia Tech game in 2007, another ominous season opener. That was uh, terrible. Yeah, Charlie Weiss kept the starting quarterback a secret, and he ultimately went with uh, Demetrius Jones to run an option offense. <laughs> and then after Jones fumbled twice, Weiss switched to Evan Sharpley who I looked back at this today, he got sacked seven times and finished with negative 58 rushing yards. And then Weiss ended up going with Jimmy Clausen. He got sacked two more times. Uh, just two god-awful season openers, but uh, yeah. some, some really weird games that we've had to sit through in our, in our lifetimes. And, of course, Demetrius Jones then uh, did not show up for the bus ride to Michigan the following Friday, and the next thing you knew, he was enrolled at Northern Illinois as a linebacker. So there you go. So <laughs> Morgan I, Park's finest. Yeah. I guess as bad as this season has been, and it's frustrating, at least it's not as bad as it was. I guess yeah, I guess that's <laughs> one way to look at it. I just thought we were well past all that. I did too. All right, so let's actually talk about this UNLV game. Uh, Notre Dame did win by 23 points, but offense certainly left a lot to be desired because they were getting the ball in so close to the end zone multiple times, and they just 
couldn't really capitalize, at least not as much as we would hope. So what were your main takeaways from the offense's performance? I think this is a bigger takeaway, but the offensive line has quietly been very good the last four and a half, five weeks, and I think that's flying a little bit under the radar just because of everything else going on. But Drew Pines had an incredibly clean pocket the last two weeks, three weeks. I don't think he was sacked on Saturday, was he? Um, And the times there, the receivers are getting open. Um, We were able to run the ball pretty well for the most part. So I think from a positive sense, that's one of my big takeaways. Um, Now, where I might contradict myself a little bit, is I did not like how we had to put Mitchell Evans, former high school quarterback, under center three times against UNLV to pick up short yardage. Like, I know that they got that from the Durham Smythe touchdown play last week, but do we really have to run that against UNLV three times? Can we save that for a, a superior opponent? Um, I just, I was not a big fan of that, and it's kind of sad that that's what it requires at this day. So the first time they ran it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And yeah, the Dolphins ran that, and we know Tommy Reese likes to run NFL concepts. So I was like, oh, okay, that was fun. I figured maybe... They're, the reason they're putting this on tape now is that maybe there's a playoff of that when they play Syracuse or Clemson. And then they ran it again when Steve Angeli came into the game, which I thought was kind of funny. I don't think they planned on running that multiple times, but once Angeli came in, maybe they felt like, let's just run it again so that well, Angeli doesn't yeah. have to do anything. Um, I guess on the the counter to that would be, do you really have such, such little confidence in Angeli that he can't even handle the snap? So... I don't know. They also ran it a third time or attempted to and had to burn a timeout because UNLV was prepared for the look. So, yeah. So, I don't know. That's that's where uh, we're at there. For me, I think we got to give a shout out to Logan Diggs. Um, His turnaround this season has been pretty remarkable considering where he was at the start of the season after the Cal game when he didn't didn't play. And I think everyone was like, all right, well, Notre Dame's got something in SMA and Tyree. Just, Just lean on that. Now, now SMA can't hold on to the football. We'll, we'll get into that, but let's focus on Diggs here for a second. He finished the game with career highs and carries and yards with uh, 28 carries for 130 yards. He still he didn't get a touchdown in that game, which kind of sucks for him because Notre Dame just was like, all right, we're not going to pass the ball. We're just going to give it to Diggs over and over again until we get close to the end zone and then someone else will score. But not only has he been reliable, his running style is so different. Like he's running with reckless abandon. He's flying through the holes. And like you said, the line has actually been really solid after a slow start to the year. But unfortunately, Notre Dame just can't really take advantage of it, which, which really is unfortunate because this group has really found their own or has really come into their own, I would say, and is giving Drew Pine a clean pocket. They're giving the running backs running lanes. But again, they're just not really executing, to use that word again. And Notre Dame really hasn't been able to take advantage no, and uh, some of that stems from it is truly insane how much Pine fixates on Mayer. And don't get me wrong, like I know we've talked at length about how good a player he is, and he had a tremendous catch the other day um, and a really good game, but it's happening at the expense of other players uh, and the offense in general where there are guys open and he never looks away from Mayer and will throw it into triple coverage. I I don't know. I just really expected like that. That's okay for that to happen against even. I actually feel like it would have been more okay if that had happened against BYU, but especially when it's happening against really inferior opponents like Stanford and UNLV, it's just what what are you doing? How can you not look away? Yeah, I was thinking about that, and I'm trying to figure out why that is. Now, the main reason, obviously, is because Mayer's a stud. He makes great catches. That one-handed catch 
with a defender draped all over him was insane. I don't even think he ever saw the ball. He just stuck his hand out and made a great catch. Um, I guess you could argue in Pine's defense that the receivers haven't given him a whole lot of reasons to to look their way. Lorenzo Styles, his, I guess, regression, or maybe maybe regression is the wrong word, but his lack of Stagnancy. development. Yeah. Actually, no, I think he has gotten worse, to be honest. Yeah, so. I mean, the player that we saw against Oklahoma State to the one we saw on Saturday, I don't know if he's just in his head because he had so many drops, but that one third down earlier in the game, like, Pine is only good for like four good throws a game right now. We we cannot waste one. And he literally hit Styles in the number four on a third down. It was a great play call to beat man coverage. If he catches the ball and he sheds that tackle, he he could house that. Instead, he just drops it again and then looks up in the sky like, like what the hell happened? So I, I don't know. But going back to Pine, his fixation on Mayer, I think he's just in his head. Uh, I don't know where Pine's head is at right now. He's really struggling. And I, I think Michael Mayer talked about this in the post game. Like he knows when Pine is up, he knows when he's down. I think Pine is so in his head right now that whenever he gets nervous or it's a big play, he's like, "I'm just going to go to Mayer." I think it has more to do with Pine and his mental state than it is with the playbook. Because, like you said, guys are getting open, and as an offensive coordinator, I know you're certainly going to diagram plays for Mayer, but you you have plays so that there are other guys open and there's options for them, and, and Pine is just not getting them the ball. Yeah, that's really reassuring to hear that his mental state is collapsed. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have much. I, I really, I don't want to sit around and be super negative, but he is really hard to watch right now. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Pine. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Drew Pine as a person. By all accounts, he's a great dude, a great teammate. He loves Notre Dame. Like, I, I understand why the team likes him. But, oh, my God, he's a terrible college quarterback. That's mean, I'm sorry, and, and I know we don't want to be super negative, but we have to address the elephant in the room here. He's holding the team back in a big way. On an offense that was already lacking talent, Drew Pine is sucking the life out of them, basically. He was only pressured twice on 26 dropbacks against UNLV, according to PFF. He finished 14 of 26 for 205 yards with two touchdowns and an interception that shouldn't have been an interception. All of these are just with a clean pocket. That, that's not his final salad. That's unacceptable. And it makes me wonder what the hell happened uh, versus BYU in North Carolina. Like, I, I'm trying to make sense of Pine and what he's done this year, and I have truly no idea how to make any sense of it. Yeah. That's kind of how I am with the entire year, to be honest, including the defense, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, not a whole lot makes sense. There, there aren't really – the only patterns are rampant inconsistency, which is a sign of a very poor football team um, and a poorly coached football team. But that's kind of all I got. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating to watch. And, and we mentioned his mental state. I don't know if this is just a confidence thing and – when he's riding high, like against BYU, then he's feeling it. That just can't be. Like, I understand that starting quarterback at Notre Dame is a very difficult task, but it's pretty clear he's not up for it. And I know people are calling for Angeli, and I understand why that's the case because Pine certainly has not shown us enough to for fans to say, like, yes, we need more Drew Pine. But I don't think Angeli is any better. I think he might actually be substantially worse. I mean, Notre Dame had a prime opportunity to get Angeli looks because Drew Pine made a nice play, scrambled, he gets close to the goal line, he gets drilled in the head. It should have been a targeting. The fact that Freeman said, hey, can you look at that for targeting? And they said no, 
is super weird to me. I didn't know they were allowed to do that. Yeah. And considering they review a lot for targeting, they decided not to. Pine clears concussion protocols, and they immediately sent it back in. They could have easily said, Pine, sit down. We got a comfortable lead against UNLV. It's UNLV. We should roll them. Let's get Angeli some looks here, and that's not what happened. Which then leads to a bigger question here about Notre Dame's quarterback situation. It's not getting any better. We've talked before. How was Notre Dame in this position? How is Drew Pine the starting quarterback for Notre Dame? I understand that Tyler Buckner got hurt. He's their high recruit. But Notre Dame, the situation is really, really grim at quarterback right now. And if what they showed on Saturday with Angeli is any indication of their confidence in him, how is this going to get any better going forward? It's not. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think Freeman said in his presser today that they trust Steve Angeli to play, but if he were to play, they would not ask him to do the things they asked Drew Pine to play. So that's kind of all you need, um, which is he's not there yet. Um, whether and, and I think if he was or if he is even close, they would have to give him a shot if you looked at how Drew Pine has played the last two weeks, but he's clearly not there. Yeah, and I think this is... This is where the criticism of Tommy Reese, if you're going to criticize him, I think this is it right here because Notre Dame's lack of talent on offense is so frustrating. And I think that goes back to recruiting. We know this. We've talked about it at length. We know Alexander was not a great recruiter, and that's a big reason why the wide receiver position is so thin. But Tommy Reese is also responsible for that too. Play calling-wise, I think Notre Dame has been fine lately. I mean, how many touchdowns has, has Drew Pine just completely missed on? Chris Tyree in the last game. Lindsey was wide open for another touchdown. In Stanford, I can think of three touchdowns that were just basically wiped out. One, the mayor one, because a guy lined up, or Tyree lined up and covered the tight end, and then uh, Pine missed two easy touchdown throws. So when you have a quarterback that isn't even average, he's just bad. Like an average quarterback would do well in this offense right now, at least against Stanford and UNLV, and Pine isn't even at average, and that's really concerning going forward. He's so bad that he makes me feel bad for Braden Lindsay. Like that's, I never thought that would happen. Much maligned character on this podcast and a lot of other podcasts. He's been getting open and Drew Pine cannot get him the ball. So I was actually happy to see Lindsay get in the end zone on Saturday on a, what they call the pass, but it was not a pass. Um, just because he's had a rough go of it. And um, <clears throat> frankly, if he makes, if Drew Pine, Tyler Buckner get him the ball twice, once in the Marshall game, once in the Stanford game, they're probably five and one right now or yeah five and one so yeah that's how bad Drew Pine is he makes me feel bad for Braden Lindsay yeah we've criticized Lindsay for not being able to make contested catches none of these would be contested catches he's so wide open that if Pine gets it anywhere near him he gets to make the play for a touchdown I, I think Lindsay realistically could have six or seven receiving touchdowns this year uh-huh and how many does he have one one yeah. and it was a, and it's not even a really a receipt yeah right so that's just where Notre Dame is at offensively. Um, what are we supposed to make of Audrey Gastime? Were you happy with his benching? I, I don't know that I had strong feelings on it. I mean, obviously, you just I wasn't surprised by it. You can't hold on to the ball. You're not going to play. Um, can't hold on to the lamp. Cold, can't hold on to the football. <laughs> like one of those. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm very skeptical of his statement from a few weeks ago that he had never lost a fumble in his career until North Carolina. Yeah, can we call bullshit on that now? I think we might have to. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that was not true. I don't know why he said that. Yeah. He said he couldn't sleep that night because he fumbled. Man, it's, he's, he's had some <laughs> insom- like weeks of insomnia now. Clearly, because that's three fumbles all lost in four games. Uh, I guess, I mean, it's a tough break that he's losing all these fumbles. 
But it, it's really concerning how the guy who Notre Dame needs, especially near the goal line and stuff, now you don't even know if he's going to hold on to the ball. So when he comes in near the goal line, I'm going to be really concerned. We'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame divvies out the carries going forward, considering what SMA has done, because unfortunately, he's still a really productive back when he runs downhill and he actually holds on to the ball. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what Notre Dame does this weekend against Syracuse, who, by the way, has a, has a pretty good rush defense. Um, let's talk about the defense, because again, they, they held UNLV to 21 points, but UNLV's offense, didn't, they didn't have their starting quarterback or their starting running back. Their starting running back, by the way, uh, went to my high school. I was actually kind of disappointed. Didn't get to see him. But it didn't even matter because they still broke off a 74-yard run. Uh, I just really don't know what to make of this defense. Are they good? Are they bad? How did you feel about their performance on Saturday? Last year, Marcus Freeman was brought in as defensive coordinator to run a defense that would create disruption. And I think there was an understanding that this would lead to the occasional big play, but you would take that. So it was different from what Clark Lee did, obviously. But I think last year... That largely worked. Uh, Notre Dame was 21st in the country in havoc rate at 8.53% and 14th in the country in turnovers created. You would, I think there was this understanding that while Al Golden had some freedom, um, they were going to run a similar defense this year. And they're actually higher in or better in havoc rate this year at 19th, but they ranked dead last in the country in turnovers created and second to last in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. They're letting guys into the end zone on drives into the red zone at over an 82% clip. That's pretty ridiculous. Bottom line is they don't make plays, and they do allow plays to happen. And I think it's you know a little less noticeable than the offensive struggles because they haven't allowed defensively more than 21 points in a game, um, but they're not making any plays. And meanwhile, on offense, I think it's a little bit more obvious where you're not putting up 40 points a game, which it seems like everybody is right now, um, that's going to be more noticeable. I, I guess last year is probably a bad example because Georgia perhaps had the best defense in modern college football history, but it's about offense now, and when you're not putting up 40 points a game, people notice that. Yeah, it's all about offense, and if you don't think so, watch that Alabama-Tennessee game and watch what those right. offenses do compared to no Ames. But defensively, yeah, the, the lack of turnovers, we kept saying at the beginning, it's going to happen, water will find its level. That just hasn't happened, which I think we have to face the reality that Notre Dame just doesn't have enough playmakers on defense. That's just the fact of the matter here. Finally, Isaiah Foskey had a big game. Definitely a nice little stat padding game for him. He finished with three TFLs. He had the two block punts that we mentioned. And I guess my question is, why why haven't we seen this more from him? Like, it's great that he did it against UNLV, but this is the first time this season where he he basically just dominated the whole game. And coming into the season, this is a guy who we all thought would play his way into becoming a first-round talent. I feel like he's not on the field a lot, too, in big moments either. So I don't really know what's going on there. Um, there have been a lot of guys who just haven't lived up to, to expectations. I don't know what accounts for the Foskey thing. Maris Leofau is extremely frustrating to watch. He just doesn't really seem to have any idea what's going on out there. He just he moves so slowly for a guy that you would, I think has always been described as like a violent football player. You're just not seeing that at all. He, he kind of just takes on blocks, and I don't mean that in a good way. Like he'll just get fucking rolled, and I, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, like he... When he has a free lane and he's rushing downhill and he's going after the running back or the quarterback on a blitz, that's when he looks like the Maris Leofau that we saw against North Carolina in 2020. That's when he's at his best. But there's so many times where I just see him chasing the running back laterally and he doesn't get to him. And he's just been pretty disappointing. I think 
part of that is we, we, uh, you and I, I think everyone on the Notre Dame beat had really high expectations for Leofau going into the season. And unfortunately, he just hasn't lived up to them. At the beginning of the season, I know he's dealing with an injury, but at this point, that just the lack of progress that we've seen from him, I don't really know what to make of it. And uh, this is the position Notre Dame is in. Houston Griffith, another player much maligned on this podcast and others, he finished with a tackle for loss and five tackles. He's like, in the past few weeks, he's been one of Notre Dame's best players on defense. And credit to Houston, but that that's not a good sign. For the Notre Dame defense. No, it's not. I, I've heard his name a little bit too much the last few weeks. Um, one positive I will say, it was good to see Prince Collie at 15 snaps. Um, he, I think one of those block punts was his, if we're being honest. Um, they gave it to yeah. Foskey, but I thought he may have done that. And it's also good that he's not injured, as we initially feared. So, Yeah, when he first went down, the way he was holding his knee and the fact that he limped to the locker room, I was thinking, torn ACL. Mm-hmm. And then on the broadcast, they're like, he's fine. He's going to be back in on the next series. And then he was. And so he was. Yeah. that's good because yeah. I was in a pretty dark place there. It's like, oh, my God, another young guy goes down. Like, this season is lost. We have to focus on the young guys now. Uh, but I think that that leads us to a bigger question here because I've seen um, a lot of fans suggest that Notre Dame should basically – I don't want to just say tank this season because that doesn't make sense. There's no draft. But start playing younger guys, maybe throw in Angeli and just sort of sit veterans for for freshmen and sophomores who haven't seen the field that much this year. How do you feel about that? Well, to that I would probably ask, what young players that aren't already playing are there to play? I mean, we even saw Junior Tui Alamaka get in a little bit on uh, Saturday. He's been getting an added role. Tobias Merriweather played 23 snaps. I don't think these guys exist that <laughs> some people are clamoring for. I, I think everybody is playing. Ben, I mean – Nicky's hurt right now, but Ben Morrison pretty much leads the team in, in snaps every week. So I, I don't really know where that's coming from outside of Steve Angeli, which I guess, as we just discussed, doesn't seem like they're ready. But listen, two of their three running backs are sophomores. Um, Mitchell Evans is a sophomore. They have two tackles who are sophomore. Like All these guys are playing, so I don't really think there's another level of – Unless you want to play some walk-ons. I just I don't really know what we're talking about. We even saw Deion Colsey get in a little bit this week, too. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and I also think it sends a terrible message to the rest of the team if you're playing young guys just for the sake of getting them in the game. If they're clearly not as talented and not as prepared as the seniors and the juniors and the veterans who are playing in front of them. Because you're basically just accepting a loss. And I think that sends a terrible message. And Notre Dame and their players are all about culture the guys that set the culture are the seniors. And I just, there's a reason that they're not playing, okay? And they might have more raw athletic ability, and they probably have higher ceilings, especially the linebackers that were brought in this class. We've talked a lot about how it might be the best linebacking core uh, or linebacking class in the country. If they're not ready to play, they're not ready to play. And these there's too much on the line for the coaches to just say, well, We'll, we'll absorb these losses just to get these young guys some action. And again, like you said, I don't know who is just waiting yeah, in the wind here. I mean, like, it's probably what? Jalen Sneed, I guess. And that's kind of it. I like, yeah, it's just not smart. Prince um, Kali's playing. It's a loser mentality to even suggest that. So um, there you go. So I don't think that's going to be the case going forward and, and for good reason. So before we wrap up here, we mentioned it at the top. Special teams. I think we got to talk about how good Brian Mason, the new special teams coordinator, has been uh, for the program this year because 
There was a lot of talk about him coming in. He had a lot more aggressive mindset than what Notre Dame had been accustomed to under Brian Polian, and who, by the way, uh, every LSU fan wants Brian Polian fired. Mm. Um, so Mason comes in, much more aggressive strategy, and it's really starting to pay off. It is. I, I mean, I also don't know what UNLV was doing on its punt protection. They were just sending everybody downfield, and it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> there was also the instance where Brandon Joseph got kick catched interference. The guy just went straight into him. They were not. They were the opposite of Notre Dame on special teams. But yeah, I know Blake Groupie, Groupie missed one field goal, um, but he hit what three or four the other day. Uh, he's been pretty solid all year. Eight for ten on the year. Um, John Sott, as we talked about at length, has been fantastic. So definitely, I, I think Brian Mason is looking like the early leader in the clubhouse for uh, best addition this offseason. Was it really windy on Saturday? Mm, not really. The balls he kicks look really weird. I will say that. The first one he kicked looked like it was going way off. And then at yeah. the last second kind of hooked in and was good. Yeah, shout out Blake Rupi. He's been one consistent player on the team. Uh, so funny thinking back to how we talked about him in the in the preseason. But credit yeah. to him, he's had a really good year. Sot is a beast, and Notre Dame blocked two punts. Um, I mentioned Brian Polian. Do you think Brian Kelly has it in him to fire his guy, the one guy who came with him to LSU? No, he might find him a, another job like Autry Denson or something and just get him an, another head coaching job, although I think he's tried to get one the last four cycles and it hasn't really panned out. So Maybe he'll get him the head coach of Hawaii. That'd be pretty good. I mean, they need a coach for sure, I think. Whoever took over that mess that Todd Graham's created uh, is in a world of hurt down there. Yeah, and it gives Brian Polian a chance to reconnect with his with family, the, <laughs> with his second family yep. who lives in Hawaii. Um, all right, quick look ahead this week. I heard some people say that Notre Dame is favored against Syracuse. Um, according to DraftKings, sponsor of the show, Notre Dame is currently three-point underdogs. Did you see that line open up, and is it did it already move that much? It opened on Circa at like Notre Dame favored by two and a half or something like that, maybe two. Um, but I did not see a DraftKings line where Notre Dame was favored. I was a little bit surprised to see the Circa line where Notre Dame was favored. I honestly thought this would be more like Syracuse minus four. Um, then I guess you do have to take into consideration. In theory, this is a far more talented team than what Syracuse has. But again, that's just in theory. Yeah. Are you going? No. No. How are you feeling about that game as we're a few days out? I actually feel really confident they're going to hammer Syracuse. I think this is like a 10-point win. Um, and then they're going, to, they're going to try to suck us in a little bit, and then that Clemson game will happen, and it'll be <laughs> not that. So, Wow. All right, well, I think that's a good note to end on. Um, we will be back on Thursday to do our Syracuse game preview. Uh, in the meantime, give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, for Luke and myself, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will talk to you again in a few days.